0: Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now it does me great pleasure at this time to turn our attention to our guest co-host for this week. And if you've been joining us, you know that we often like to make sure that we give an official introduction by reading our guest co host bio. It's our way of letting you have insight into their background, their credentials, their expertise, their lived experiences, because we think that's important and it helps us to know how they're showing up to the conversation. So today will be no different. And I am so delighted to welcome a friend um, someone who I admire greatly. And I'm going to read her bio at this time. And this is the bio of none other than Marisha Reese. As president and chief operating officer of the Winters Group Incorporated, Marisha In Reese has helped spur the rapid growth of the global diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice consulting firm, which celebrates its catch this, 40th anniversary this year. I don't know if y'all are like, you know, maybe just kind of celebrating on your own, but I am. I'm going to stop there. 40th anniversary this year. The Winters Group, they are the OGs, y'all. I have to just say that. So mad respect, mad respect. Through overseeing enhancements to the firm's technology infrastructure, web presence, social media platforms, client service offerings, and workflow processes, Reese paved the way for the company to triple in size and attract Fortune 500 clients. Prior to joining the Winters Group, Marisha worked as an engineer. Her experiences of often being the only Black woman in her workspaces and the biases of microaggressions that came along with that led to her passion for DEIJ work, a co-author of 2023's Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change, and the forthcoming second edition of We Can't Talk About That at Work. Marisha is a featured speaker and an advocate for change. She is the face of the next generation of DEIJ thought leaders and has been a force for advancing organizational transformation and actualizing equitable and just workplaces. Marisha has received several recognitions, including Who's Who in Black Charlotte, Charlotte Business Journal's Power 100, and Profiles in Diversity Journal's Women, worth watching, all in 2023. Marisha was also named to Diversity MBA's Top 100 Under 50 Executive and Emerging Leaders in 2021 and Diversity Women Media's Power 100 list in 2021. So... You know what to do if you've been here week after week. We find those emojis. We find those words of affirmation and appreciation to extend a great level of gratitude to our guest co-host today for taking the time to share with us and be here with us. And I am so excited to share this space of time with you, Marisha. Thank you for saying yes to our invitation. I cannot be more thrilled um, to to be at this place where we really can just um, spend some time unpacking a lot of all the things that you have been Um, Influencing at the Winters Group and beyond. And so, thank you for being here. I want to give you a chance to lead us in by greeting this audience in your own way. And one of the things we like to do here is to um, encourage our guest co host to share with us something that we would not know from, of course, your bio, which we just heard, or even going to your LinkedIn profile. And so, we are really curious to learn more about you. Thanks for being here, friend thank you thank you thank you dr nika um
1: for having me thank you for that warm welcome i truly appreciate it and so um You know, you talked about a little bit when you before you did my bio about lived experiences. Right. And so a lot of times at the Winters Group, when we introduce ourselves, we do talk about those intersecting identities to help people understand. Right. What we're bringing to the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'll just share a little more. Some may be visible to you, um, but I'll still state it just in case not. So I am a black woman. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. I'm a sister and a dog mom. And the dog just appeared at my door, like on cue. Um, I am a business owner. I'm an in, I'm an introvert. And so Nika getting me here was definitely um, out of my comfort zone. I am a Xennial. So I, um, for those of you that haven't heard that term, I was born on the cusp of Gen X and millennial. I think I lean more Gen X, but you be the judge. I don't know. Um, I grew up in the Northeast United States. Currently live in the Southeast. I'm a graduate of the best HBCU, <laughs> Belman College. You <We> didn't <laughs> know that's the best. We are number one. I mean, it is. It's true. Um, I, also, um, <laughs> I also. I um, also. mentioned my, you know in my bio about engineers. So I do have degrees in computer science and electrical engineering, um, but obviously do not work in that space anymore. And so my passion work is definitely supporting organizations and creating spaces where everyone can be their best authentic self. So thank you again, Dr. Nika, and congratulations to you on seven years and one year with the book and your new LinkedIn courses as well.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. And so, yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that you're a Spelmanite because, you know, recently in the news, we saw where Spellman received this largest gift ever. And I think it was yeah. in hundred million. Did I, did I, am yeah, I going yeah. that correctly? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what an amazing gift. And I love that um, it's finding its way into the media so that people can know. Cause I think a lot of times people are um, reluctant about, you know, giving substantial gifts to HBCUs because we know there's a lot of, um, you know, stigma out there around, are they really quality educational institutions and you know are we kind of throwing mm. our money away and so let me just say 100 million dollars speaks volumes and so if you question whether or not the school is worthy then hmm, 100 million dollars worth should let you rethink the, the, right. the value of of the institution if you don't think that it's worthy already so i love that um And so we are going to jump right in and um, talk about your background and your experience. But I can't help but to first lean into what has been so beautiful for me to watch. And I've shared this with you both and Mary Frances Winters. um, And that is the fact that the two of you, not only are you working together, but the way in which you all have planned and executed the succession. And um, I just think that's beautiful. I love when people are keeping it in the family. I, I think that's just absolutely amazing. And so I just want to lean into that for a second and get you to respond to what has that felt like? You know, I know that you I saw where I think this week you celebrated 12 years with the Winters group. And so what was that like um, having those conversations and getting to that point to where, okay, now it's time for you to like be elevated and um, just would love to hear you share a bit more about that with us.
1: Yeah. So yes, just yesterday was 12 years um, with the Winters group. And and Dr. Niga didn't say it, but for those that don't know, Mary Frances Winters is my mother. So um, we are, it is definitely a family business. And, you know, um, like I, like I shared, my background is in computer science, electrical engineering. So it never was that like a goal. It never was something that I always knew I would be here. um, But there was a time so before this, you know, I kind of what led to the transition to the Winters group was maybe a forced transition to the Winters group was that you know I I got laid off and so I was working at a large defense contractor in Maryland and we it, you know it was a time where the economy wasn't doing well things weren't well and so there was a um large layoff and so I was one of the the layoffs and back then, that was the most devastating day of my life. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, I remember it vividly in my mind. I remember after that, driving directly to Mary Frances' house and crying <laughs> and all that. Um, but now looking back and reflecting, it was probably the best, one of the best days, um, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I would not be where I was. And so I took that time to really reflect, like, do I want to go back into engineering um, and be in this? But, you know, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy where I yeah. was, but it's kind of have these degrees right so that's what I'm supposed to do um and so it really um I didn't right after that go to come to the winters group I had some other another job in between but there was a time in you know Mary Frances I think deep down inside her dream is yes come work here but she didn't want to push that on right of course I have a brother as well and so you know want us to find our own way in our own path um and didn't want it to feel pushed upon and so it kind of was just we were talking on time because where I was just before the winters group I wasn't <laughs> wasn't good there either um I enjoyed what I was doing it's just the work environment wasn't good and so we talked and it was just like yeah hey, let's you know let's do it and so it's really been a very rewarding experience I know some people may you know think well what's it like working with your mother family you know you sometimes you hear right the family business like how do you like you can't do that but it's been we've had a really excellent and I know you too um Nika have yes. your, your family involved in your business and I think it's it's definitely rewarding um it's not the easiest thing but it's mm-hmm. like wouldn't change it for the world and I always say um because I have 12 years so is the longest I've been anywhere um probably the hardest I've worked in anywhere as well and so <laughs> I'm just really blessed. I've learned, I learned a lot from her um, as well. When you talk about the success, like, I'm like, no, Mary Fitz can never retire. She gonna be here forever. But, you know, it's just, I am able to just learn a lot from her and really blessed to have the opportunity to, um, to be, you know,
0: almost running, <laughs> running the company. So, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Well, it's beautiful to watch. And from the outside looking in, and again, I read your bio where I talked about all the many different ways you have influenced the rapid growth and, and so many, um, you know, opportunities of upward trajectory for the Winters group. And so you are you are doing a great job. And again, it's just beautiful to watch. And yes, you know, some of you in this community may or may not be aware that my daughter um, started working with me when she graduated from London School of, of Economics with her, her master's degree and um, it it, there are some dynamics that you have to navigate and you have to you know be very intentional about having those conversations to ensure that um, you know both individuals are showing up in a way that can best serve um, the the family business as well as um, each individual and so it it has been it has been a journey and uh, but I I am appreciating the ride and and again you and Mary Francis are like an inspiration (laughs) card so so I love it. Okay, hey, So, you know, you talked about how you were in engineering and and certainly I, I referenced in your bio how often being the only black woman in the workspace was something that um, you had to navigate and deal with. And so it also, I would imagine, shaped your approach, though, to DEIJ consulting work. And so can you lead into that by sharing what are some of those specific ways that your experience as being, you know, the only black woman in certain workspaces has impacted the way in which you show up to this work today?
1: Yeah, I really, I think it's, you know, one way it's really helped me to empathize, right, because I, you know, I've had the experience, so I know what it's like um, being the one of only in spaces, right, having, you know, the microaggressions being labeled in different ways, and so, um, and, you know, to be honest, Nika, like, if you've ever heard Mary Frances' story, she had the same story 40 years ago, and why, which is why she started the business, right, right? and so, the fact that it's still right in 2024, yeah. we're still going to do that. But I think it just it helps me to be able to empathize. It gives me more drive to like want to to continue, mm-hmm. right? So you I think you mentioned at the the start, you know, DEI is alive and well, right? We have we're hearing a lot of the negative, the naysayers around this work. It's not needed and it and all of that. And it definitely, I mean, it is. So it gives me more push because I'm hearing the stories, I'm hearing, I'm listening to people the organizations that we work with, you know, we do a lot of um, cultural audits Mm -hmm. sometimes. And so we're doing focus groups and listening sessions. And you're just hearing these stories. We just did one this week and it was just like, you know, it breaks your heart that that Mm -hmm. still to this day, people, you know, women, Black people um, or other underrepresented groups are just not experiencing a full place. So I think, you know, that really has helped me to know, like one to not give up because I just right. I think that you know a lot of times we ourselves <laughs> wanting to give up um as well and so I did one want, I wanted to share this story too about when I worked at the large defense contractor one of my performance reviews um it said something about Marisha doesn't toot her own horn now I'm not one um I, like growing up I was shy like shy like so not only introvert but shy right and so <laughs> I've come come, coming out of that, but um, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm also not one that's just like out there, you know, like rah, rah, look what I did. And um, I wanted, I wanted to share that because I think that it, it ties to the work we do when we talk about inclusive leadership and leaders being more culturally competent or leaders knowing their individual employee Mm -hmm. versus putting it all like everyone one size fits all everybody. Well, this is this is my lens everyone should be around here tooting their own horn marisha doesn't do that so therefore she gets a lower lower Mm -hmm. rate you know but it's Mm -hmm. it's not my thing and nika that was the first time i heard this right so it's not like she had been telling me oh marisha toot your own own it was you know so now it's on this permanent record but i think that that happens you know just a lot you know when you think about leaders leading people that don't look like them that aren't from the same culture they don't understand you know it could be a cultural thing it may not be a cultural thing but this that importance of why leaders need to be more culturally competent why leaders need to understand people more from an individual um basis and I think you know sometimes I don't I don't know for sure if this was what I was doing either but you know like I said I was one of the only in the space and so I might have been minimizing, right? I'm minimizing who like I am to just want to fit in. I already stand out because I'm the only black woman in there. And so and we find that a lot too with our work too, right? People of non-dominant group, you know, tend to minimize and all of that. Yeah. And so I think um the more that leaders can even understand that and recognize that is very important. And so that was just a story because and it sticks with you, right? Cause that was more than 12 years ago. That was like 15, whatever years ago. But I remember it because I'm just always like okay. that just you know in and, and for leaders the thing like what are you what messages are you sending your employees or or that you know because you don't have you
0: lack the skill or the competency to be able to lead across, you know, differences. Mm-hmm. No, I'm so glad you shared that story, and I'm sure it's probably um, you know resonating with many people. I want to go back to something that I don't I don't want to be missed. You said that mm-hmm. one of the reasons that Mary Francis actually started um, you know the the winters group was because her experience more than 40 years ago was, was the same. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that we are still seeing so many stories and incidents of, of women, particularly black women, um, that are navigating these same type of complexities. And, you know, it, it gave me pause because I'm like, you're right. I mean, we are, we're in this, what seems like vicious cycle of just, you know, history repeating itself, repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I also think is important to amplify is that we can't lose hope, we can't lose focus, we can't let that become a distraction that causes us to, um, you know, dilute and and you know our our message. I think we have to stay to course. And and I appreciate the fact that um, we have these spaces to, to really just um, help encourage people around that. Because even yeah. for us that are practitioners in this space, we need to hear that every so often, right? Because exactly. we're on the front lines doing it. The okay. other t- thing that you shared about your story that resonated with me is, the fact that sometimes we assume that that people automatically know how to gain influence and gain visibility Mm. and even the importance of that within the workspace. And that's a fallacy. Not everybody knows that. And so for managers or mentors and coaches that are making that an expectation but not helping those individuals, which oftentimes are people that are part of underserved, underrepresented, underestimated populations to know what that looks like, then I think they're falling down on the job too. It's not just about telling someone to do something, but how are you walking shoulder to shoulder with them, showing them the way, modeling that, you know? So how unfair is it that here you are showing up to a performance management conversation, and this is the first time that you're seeing that you don't toot your own horn? Because really what they're saying is you need to gain more visibility. You need to gain a bit more influence. You need to be doing something different than what you're you're doing right now. And so I just wanted to bring that to the conversation. So you're in your 40th year. Um, at the Winters Group, and um, that is that is a big, big, big accomplishment. I want to have you share with our community how do you see the firm's role um, in impact evolving over the next decade. You've accomplished so much, but there's still a lot more to do. And what are you all prioritizing in terms of going into the future?
1: Yeah, so thank you for that. Congratulations, and I want to note that it's forty continuous years because. And I, I feel like it's important to emphasize that mm-hmm. because it's Black-owned business, and you, Dr. Nita yes. can attest to this. It's not easy. There's many no. robots. That, and so despite, you know, there were times, Mary, I, I know I keep saying stuff about Mary Frances, and she may not want me to tell you this, but she shares this sometimes, that there was a time where there was like $13.47 yes. in the bank account. And she remembers yeah. that number, you know, it was kind of oh, like, yes okay, what, no so, so continuous business. So very grateful. You're right. Um, and happy. I have to just
0: interject here quickly. I remember when the three of us were having lunch. You're so right. She told that story, and that number was like embedded, and she mm-hmm. used the precise amount. So yes,
1: <laughs> yes. And I think, and I like. I think she likes. To, she uses that too. And for anyone on here who may be a business owner, like don't give up. You know, don't give right. up. She's a she is such a proponent of entrepreneurship and starting <laughs> your own business and all of that. Um, but she, yeah. So 40 continuous years, and throughout those years, you know, and you know what diversity, equity, inclusion work, there's cycles, like, oh, yeah, right? I feel like we're in a down cycle now, it's not as trendy, right, it's not as it was two years ago, quote, unquote, trendy, as yeah. it was um, two years ago, and so we're constantly having to shift shift with that, and as you said, and just um as, as the field evolves in general, right, we continue to add all the letters to the D, E, I, A, B, J, and all of that, and so even for us at the Winters Group, a few years ago, you know, we looked at that intersection of social justice, like, how do we bring the social justice piece um, into this work, you know, and so, as we look forward, like, so we're constantly um, looking at the trends, looking at how things shift, but like, to your point, not letting the external noise, um, mm-hmm. sway us, right, we're gonna, we're gonna continue yep. this fight, um, whatever we need to call it, we're going to continue the fight, do the work. And, and I say that, too, because we we're talking with a a school district, you know, even there, you they don't want to use the word, you know, equity, like, it's like these words, you can't even use the words, right. And so it's like, how do you get the message across with, with all these um blocks. And so one of the things, you know, ultimately, this is, it's really around organizational change, right, change yeah. management. And sometimes we have to navigate with clients, like changing, we know, inside what we're really talking about, but we may have to change, change that language. But ultimately, no matter how things shift, we're gonna stay true to right, true to our core, true to our values, mm-hmm. um, and just know that there's, you know, a need. And one of the ways we even shifted recently, um, you know, some of our clients. So when when Israel and Hamas uh, war and started and different things, and so employees were dealing with that. And so I think sometimes, well, I don't know if they feel this way anymore, but you know, you you can't keep what's going on outside 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 yeah, of the work. You can't, right? And so, you know, we, clients reached out to us, like, can you help, you know, can you help? So we just started trying to do some guided meditation sessions and breathing sessions, right? Just to help people just cope. We're not teaching, we didn't teach anything about, right? The conflict or anything, it wasn't about that. It's just like, people are bringing all of this to work and and companies are expecting them to just continue to produce, produce, but they need, they have to have an outlet, you know, they have to have a way to cope. And so that's even one way that we've had, to shift. And, you know, I, I know you're, and I'm looking, I'm looking forward your, to your LinkedIn learning on AI and DEI D, because I'm not convinced <laughs> about AI yet. Um, But right, but where are the opportunities there, right? Like, so we have to follow where, you know, the trends are going. And so that might be a place too, that we're looking at, but I did some of this AI, I see Nika, I'm like, mm, I don't know if you want <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: the, how that, you know, AI fits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's interesting that you bring up AI because, um, you know, my message has been so far and it continues to be that AI is powerful and it's not going away. Um, And I think that there's a lot of benefit to having it available to all of us. However, there's also a lot of risk and danger if we don't continue to educate around responsible ethical use and how it can create harm um, that maybe some people just don't just don't consider and think about. And so um, you're right. And I think that it behooves us as practitioners to really be forward thinking as to how can we get ahead of that, you right? Um, so that okay. it, we, we are helping to kind of create more of the benefit of its use being amplified than some of the, the negative stories that I know have already started to pop up and appear. So that, that is really important. So I wanna talk about racial justice at work. Um, you of course just shared as you were talking about the evolution of maybe the next decade for the Winters Group. How you all have really made a firm decision to intersect um, justice work into your messaging and your approach to to DEI, and it's also coming up on its first um, anniversary, or maybe the anniversary has already come. Is it already one year old? Not yet. Valentine's Not yet. Day will be almost. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when it was released and I have my copy and i read the book. And so um, the book's impact has been, you know, from outside looking in, pretty tremendous. And it has influenced a lot of organizational change. What I'm curious for you to share with us is, you know, what can people get from this book that maybe they can't find anywhere else? Because there's a lot of books right now on, on just this broad yeah. topic. But what can people right. get from this book um, that maybe they can't find other places? Yeah, so our hope
1: with this book was really that it would be like a, a how-to guide, right? So, so um, it's it's divided into um, kind of two parts, one being just defining justice, um, you know, for some people, so is the word scares some people we so were trying to write, um, the define, define the word. And when we talk about, you know, justice at the Winners Group, we're really talking about correcting past harms, changing systems, it's very action-based, yep. you know, redistributing power. So that's the first part. And then the second part is really about actualizing this, right? And so we wanted to write something where people can um, have takeaway, you know, real life situations or examples and takeaways where they can make, readily apply to the organization. And we break it down into various aspects of the organization. So I know when you talked about um, Amira going to talk in a couple of weeks about mm-hmm. this shouldn't sit in HR. So we, we go right. outside of HR, right? We'll talk... We do talk a little bit about hiring but it's like in procurement what a what procurement right to marketing right the data mm-hmm. technology you just talked about right ai mm-hmm. learning and development you also talk about psychological safety and allyship mm-hmm. and you know, professionalism what do you know what does that mean what is like mm-hmm. what is you know the misconception around professionalism and so it's in each chapter was written by um someone from the winters group and so i think that's really powerful, too, because yeah, it um, is, you know, I applaud Mary Francis for that as well, for allowing us to be yes. some of us never authors ever. And now we can say we're an author, but it's really, you know, really designed to take look at every aspect of the organization and how can you actualize justice within that? And like I said, with examples and one of our clients on um, Mount Sinai, they actually just started doing a book discussion on it. So they're going to take each nice. chapter. It's and do, you know, discussion. So it's good for that as well. You may pick out different chapters, like, mm-hmm. oh, I really, you know, especially if you're a marketing team, let's focus on this marketing chapter and like see, you know, take a look at what we're doing internally and see how he might be able to change things, so.
0: Yeah, that was something that was very impressionable for me in reading the book, you know, cause I I too often talk about how sometimes we try to just relegate this work to to HR only. And of course, you know, human capital is, is one of the, the greatest assets, but it's so much broader than that. It definitely impacts mm-hmm. all areas of operation. So I think that the book does a good job of bringing that full circle. And, you know, I also think that it's it sends this important message of, you know, we talk often about DEI, DEI, but why are we doing DEI? The ultimate reason of doing the work of DEI mm-hmm. is for justice. And if we don't center justice as our outcome, which again, it's all about, you know, redistributing power, as you said, and, and correcting the harms and things of that nature, then why, why are we even doing this in the first place? And so um, so the name of the book, again, is Racial Justice at Work. And so my team will actually drop into the chat a link for you all to be able to source that book for yourselves. If you already don't have your copy, it is a great one. I highly, highly, highly encourage it. And um, I, I do also love the fact that Mary Frances saw fit to extend the opportunity to other members of the organization to, to be authors co-authors by writing different chapters. I thought that was so cool. And so hats off to Mary Frances for that amazing idea. Um, so I want to talk about the other book that is about to be released. And I'm so excited about this one as well, because I don't I don't have this book, but I had my assistant to actually order this book for me when it's when it's coming out. So I'm just patiently waiting on my copy. But it's the second edition of We Can't Talk About That at Work. And so um, what new insights or updates can readers look forward to in this edition? And maybe in answering that, also give us kind of the impetus for why you wanted to, to write this book.
1: Yeah, so the, the release date is next week, February 6th. So yeah, February is just a lovely month. Uh, for, <laughs> for both of us, right? Yeah, so February, everything's happening. But yeah, so yes. next week. And so this is the second edition. Um, and I am blessed to have be able to be a co-author on this um second edition so the first edition came out oh I should maybe 26 I don't know don't don't quote me don't quote me um <laughs> but the first edition came out that Mary Frances was the solo um author on that and so I was blessed to join her as the co-author and so this book um so just regarding the new what's new in the book updated statistics updated examples yeah. we have a new chapter where we talk about um we have a couple of case studies with organizations that actualize having these conversations. Both yep. What we call bold inclusive conversations um, at work. But um, and there's an updated glossary, and we also added a discussion guide. We did not have an, a, nice. any discussion questions or anything in the first edition, so this time each chapter has questions that you could talk through with your with your Love employees, or whomever. Um, but I feel like, so this book in general, so it's, we can't talk about that at work, but the subtitle of the book is how to talk about race, religion, politics, and other polarizing topics. And I think it's just timeless, right? Like when it first came out, Sorry. it was needed, right? When we know it's needed now, all three of those, race, religion, mm-hmm. politics, just, right, it's in conversation right. now. Like what we talked about before, people don't leave that outside of the workplace. It used to be, you mm-hmm. like, don't talk about politics at work, you know what but yes, we not like we do, because you can't just shut that out. Oh, I'm in work. I gotta shut everything off, right? And so it's really to help, you know, folks talk through and have productive conversations around these polarizing topics. And like I said, this year, like it's just a t- very timely, right? We're about to very get into time. timely election. We have a lot going on across the world. Um, and it's just needed. It's very, very much needed. So I do hope that folks will go ahead and get that. Um and will find it useful. Um, I know that with the first edition, many people did find,
0: find that it was
1: very helpful for them to navigate how to talk about some of these issues.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's like you said before, if um, there are organizational leaders or companies that are trying to keep those conversations outside of the workplace, um, because they perceive that that doesn't have a place here, then what they are failing to realize is that those issues, those all those social issues are directly impacting the way in which employees are showing up to the workplace. And so you can't really, you can't run from it. You have to almost provide a space where people can process together and can learn and understand together and acknowledge it so that they don't feel like we are um, just total... Um, Totally unaware of how and which is really impacting us, and so I, I love that. Yeah, and um, I think so-
1: too, Wilica, that um, an organization like if you know, some organizations, that, well, why they don't talk about it, they're scared, right? They don't want to say the wrong thing. We've no, seen no, no, a no. lot of right like, where think you know one they made a statement about this, and then the other groups are like, "Well, what about us?" You know, we've had some clients mention that too, and then, so it's hard. Like this stuff, it's hard, it's difficult. We get it wrong, you know, sometimes, but it's like, but you can't just. Not say anything, right? Silence right. is not the
0: answer. And it's so,
1: not the answer. Um, yeah, like you said, you have your employees there that, that are from different groups. So when something's happening on the outside and you're not acknowledging that, right? You're not saying anything. But I'm coming to work and I'm, you know, like I see another black man got shot, you know, and, you know, and I'm coming. But you're not even acknowledging, you know. And so I know some of right. it too is fear. Like I don't want to say the wrong right. thing. so hopefully The book helped. To guide that but we just we have to we have because your employees they're dealing with it and you have to you know as leaders you definitely have to be able to um that one of those skills you have to have is to be able to have those difficult conversations
0: no absolutely someone in our audience today problem has said that we must give grace to get it wrong and absolutely. work through it together yeah. absolutely i truly believe that we,
1: i mean the
0: winters group gets it wrong 40 years we still you know yeah we all, we all do. We all do. And that's the thing. I think if we're kind of sitting back on the sidelines because we're like, I want to, I wanna be able to dot all my I's and cross all my T's and be perfect like this, then then yeah, that is that is very misguided thinking because there's never going to be such a place, right? And nor should that be right. our goal, you know, because we want to yeah. be able to position ourselves to continuously learn mm-hmm. and grow yes. and get better. And so exactly. there's a question about if the book is going to be available in audio. I Google books. believe
1: it will be Audible. Um, I know the other books that we've had with this publisher. Um, I'm not sure about Google Books, however. Okay.
0: Okay, so um, I'm going to ask my team to also, yeah. okay. I'm going to ask my team to place the link for the, the new edition that's coming out next week if we can't talk about that at work so that this community can be um, preparing if you already don't have your order in um, to get that book. I definitely think it's gonna be a tremendous resource. And so I wanna shift right now and just let our audience know that we will be taking questions and comments from each of you if you desire to be a part of our show today. If you're a part of the Zoom community, you can let us know that you are willing to join the discussion by using the raise hand feature. And in that regard, I will call on you, add you to the spotlight and you can present your question or comments directly. If you're here just in an auditory capacity and maybe, but you have some curiosity, percolating you can place those into the chat we'll take as many questions as time allows or if you're joining us by linkedin live you can share your questions in the comments and my team is bringing that over here so that we can address those as well so maybe while you're percolating on um, what curiosities are coming up i'm going to go to the next question and then i'll, I'll, I'll check in to see um, who is who's is going to maybe join the conversation I want to talk now about Racial Justice at Work Summit, which, if you have not been paying attention, the Winters Group is putting on this great summit, and they have been releasing over the past you know, several weeks different speakers, and uh, I am super excited because it is going to be amazing, and I just want to give you space and time, Marisha, to talk about what this is about, what do people have to look forward to, who are some of the headliners, and, um, and how to get involved.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, So Racial Justice at Work Summit. So we did our first one last year and it coincided with the release of the book. We did not plan (laughs) to do a summit to release it (laughs) in that way. So after the success of that, we decided to do it again. And so this the theme this year is Justice for All. It's a three-day event in April, so the 23rd through the 25th. And so On day one, um, we're going to take a look back. We're going to explore that idea of Sankofa. So that's the belief that we must remember and learn from the past. So with that, we'll have some keynotes by Dr. Janetta Cole and um, Jane Elliott. So Jane Elliott, um, some of you will probably know from the blue eye, brown eye experiment. Um, And then the second day, we're going to be trying to focus on current issues impacting the DAI work in the present. Um, and so we're going to have a keynote by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi and um, Minda Hartz, which I know Minda is a friend of yours as well. Mm-hmm. And then day three, we're going to look ahead and we're going to try to reimagine a future that really centers equity and justice. And we have a few keynotes that day as well with Molly Burke, Rob Smith, and Dr. Ruha Benjamin. And Dr. Benjamin does a lot of work with the technology in this space as yeah. well. So I'm at that. So in addition to these fabulous keynotes, we're also gonna have some concurrent sessions and workshops and Dr. Nika White is one of our speakers as well, so we're so happy to have her there. And then we wanted to kind of integrate um, some performance artists um, into the mix mm-hmm. as well. So, so we um, have like an indigenous hoop dancer, we have some spoken word artists. Nice. So really trying to write, learn from, learn but in an artistic way, right? Learn from yeah. other cultures artistic way. So we're very excited, registration is open. Now, um, so like I said, the past, present, future is kind of that, that theme for the three days.
0: I absolutely love everything about this concept. And I am counting down the days to not only just be able to to present a session, but to be a student and to hear from all of the wonderful um, speakers that you have lined up for this event. And so we have placed that link into the chat. If you are just now hearing about this, run, don't walk, secure your spot, share it out with your networks. It really is going to be a great summit filled with really impactful information that I know is going to help us be on a path of creating some uh, really impactful change that we really need to see. So I'm super excited about it. Um, Okay, so we have our first hand raised and um, I'm going to actually add Quavana to the um, the spotlight. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Been missing you the past few weeks. I know that you usually are always here every Friday, but thank you for being here today. Um, Share your question or comments.
2: Yeah, thank you again. Great to see you, Dr. Nika. Great to see you, meet you, Marisha. This is, I mean, honestly, this is one of the, if not the best uh, series on this in this space that I've seen. So it's always, always a place that I try to hold. I couldn't over the past couple of weeks for a couple of reasons. And one of those reasons is, uh, well, let me take a step back. <clears throat> you said Spelman is the best HBCU. My wife is an alum of Alabama State University. And my wife and my daughter might disagree with you, but, you know, <laughs> that's semantics. I also do, I never went to HBCU, but I work with, um, actually last week I worked with students from Central State and uh, Fort Valley State, helping them to receive an opportunity similar to you, starting off there in STEM, in the STEM field. And Mm -hmm. one of the partners I work with through the Harvard Institute is an IP law firm in DC, and we're trying to help them potentially move into a tech specialist role in this law firm upon graduation. They're all STEM students. So... Um, with all of that being said, um, I've done a lot of work. <clears throat> actually, yesterday was my one-year anniversary of my own business. I had a somewhat similar story as you and um, you know that terrible blessing of being a part of a layoff and that mm-hmm. says, hey, now's the time, go. Okay. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of support from people and I didn't have to actually look for work because I had done so much work prior to this. So my question for you is... Now that I have originally was thinking, hey, I'm going to do all the stuff in D- D-I-B, um, you know, looking at Dr. Nika White and, and so many other people and doing all this amazing work, I'm like, I want to do that, too. I've realized over the past year that I'm not great at all of those things, which we all know. Um, what I'm really good at is a couple of things. One is making people people feel safe and secure in a space. So... 90% of the feedback I get from the learning experiences that I facilitate is always, you created a safe space, I, I do a two-day on psychological safety for leaders. So I'm really good at that. I'm great, a great facilitator. And then I'm really good with relationship management when it comes to um, you know corporations and connecting them specifically with the HBCU students and that early talent part oh. of careers. I'm curious as to within, you know, the Winters group and your experience in general, where does that fit within the largest, where do you see that fitting in the larger scape of DEIB in the short and long term?
1: Yeah, so thank you for sharing, um, sharing all that. And I think, you know, psychological safety. So that is like huge um, and very important. And that is something that um we try to incorporate as well in our work. I think it's important for leaders. It's important for everybody, but definitely, right? You need the leaders to make that safe space for their employees. Some of what we kind of touched on without explicitly saying it today, um, and I I think that there's a great need for for that. Um, and I love what you're doing with the the HBCU. So it, I I kind of laugh a little because we um when we work with organizations that tell us they can't find, we can't find people, we can't find talent, you can't find BIPOC talent, but it's like, but they're going to the same place, they're tapping Mm. into their networks, right? And then when you tell them, well, maybe go to HBCU, maybe switch, oh, what, oh my goodness. Like, it's like, they, you know, and so (laughs) it it still baffles me that people don't, you know. right. They don't see they don't see like that that is like a possibility to or think about that. And so I think that I would love I think really um I don't yeah, if you can create that that space to tap into you know other corporations and different things and really have that pipeline um for for HBCU students, I think would be really powerful. um Dr. Nika, I don't know if you had any thoughts around this as well.
0: Yeah, I think exposure is is so important. And so for those industries that, um, quite honestly, are um, heavily populated with non-melanated people (laughs) or even people from other underserved backgrounds and demographics, um, what I find is that if they have not been exposed to it, it's not in their consideration set. So sometimes it is about those industries really working collectively to think about how can we uh, play a role in helping to bridge that gap of lack of exposure. Um, and so sometimes that may mean going into high schools going into middle schools and just kind of having people to talk about you know here's some skill sets that apply to this particular industry and then people have it into their, their their mindsets because if we don't see it for ourselves because we don't have anyone in our inner circle that has been you know an engineer that has been a doctor that's been a lawyer or whatever the case may be then, it's going to be hard for us to have that as something that we are aspiring for ourselves. And so sometimes um, people don't take advantage of um, those types of initiatives because they feel like that's too far down the road. I need a solution right now. But the only way we're going to be able to change the trajectory of that is if we are thinking about um, what are what are those initial steps we need to take to start um, appealing to those who may not even have certain industries on their radar. Congratulations on your one year. Best of luck to you. Thanks for your question today. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so I'm not seeing any other questions right now, but I do want to go to another topic because we touched on this briefly. And uh, we have a little bit of time left, and I think this is really important. You have referenced that Mary Frances is someone who's been in business continuously for 40 years, that um, you know, business ownership is something that she's a big advocate for, and she talks about a lot. Um, and so coupled with that, you all do a lot of work, very specifically around um, racial justice in the procurement, supplier diversity kind of realm and space. And so I want you to talk a little bit about what are some of the most significant um, barriers that uh, minority-owned businesses can face, and and how do we remove them?
1: Yes, thank you. I'm actually
0: glad we got to this,
2: this question. So this was <laughs> actually too.
1: this is actually my chapter in the book. So my chapter in the book is justice in procurement,
0: um, and
1: it really came from like my personal experience working. So a lot of what I um, have to do with the winners group is work with contracts right and finalize yeah. contracts with procurements in other places and let me tell you it is not easy and I know you probably have your stories too and so some of the um you know barriers because you know we're small we're a small firm we have I think right now we might have 15 full-time employees and then we have other you know 1099 contractors but you know we're, we're trying to play with the big dogs right the fortune 500 with the thousands and thousands and thousands right. so they are up with all these different teams right they have their legal team they have their risk assessment team and they have their procurement and all these things and so um you know once we start to get to into the contracting phase and different things some of the barriers um some of the examples i put in the book is like payment terms for example yeah some companies have 90 day payment terms 120 day payment terms (laughs) now for those that don't know the payment term is like when you get paid, right? So if I submit the invoice, I'm not gonna get paid until 120 days later. As a small BIPOC-owned firm or any underrepresented group-owned firm, that could be hard. Like especially Black, right? Black-owned businesses, it's harder for us to get access to capital, right? And so I did this work, but you tell me I'm not getting paid for 120 days, right? Great. That alone, right? And then like when we talk about the justice, so some of the questions we ask is like who who are we benefiting? are we harming clearly you're yeah. harming the person the, the buy right. buy
2: but the right. company's
1: benefit, right they're keeping their cash they're you know for for whatever whatever and so that's one of the and that's a, to me that's an easy one like switch your payment terms right and so a lot of times so when I get contracts there's like certain areas I know to go to like okay what they say their payment terms are let me try to renegotiate that right and well no organizations have supplier diversity programs
2: mm-hmm. so
1: you're not helping like you, you while that's great, you know, yes, okay, I'm seeking out these, um, you know, diverse um, owned bi- businesses, but when they're when you have them to do the work, you may be harming them. And that's the type of thing that we talk mm-hmm. about. Another another one is um, intellectual property rights. So a lot of times those contracts are written such that, oh, we have perpetual, um, exclusive use to use all this, <laughs> stuff, right? Whatever the language no, is. No, you don't. <laughs> you do not, right? This is my yes. you know, I created this, my content. But I can understand where those contracts come from, right? Because sometimes they're hiring people to, yes, build something specific for this. So it's mine now. But that's not, but it's so it's not one size fits all, right? Not every, so adjust your contracts. Like have a contract specific to like the work that you and I may do, right? Or hit, and then that are different. And then the third one, because this is the one that really, really grinds my gears, is the risk, the risk assessment questionnaires. Sometimes these things have like 300 questions. And so it's really a right about, they want to make sure you have systems in place that are safe, right? If you get hacked, if you get all this thing. But they're just like, there's so many questions that we sometimes don't, be, I don't even know what that means. And it doesn't even apply to what we're doing most of the time. Yeah. But one time we've actually had to hire somebody to help us like complete it. So we're paying extra money. We don't even know if we're going to have the business yet because sometimes they require oh. these build out before, before you get yeah right? I right. don't even know if we have the business, but now we're paying someone extra <laughs> to help us fill this out. And while they're filling they there's like half of this stuff, they're putting N-A-N-A-N-A. NA, NA. But it's like, so even with that, right? It's like creative risk is creative form for specific needs, right? I'm not even like not, half of that stuff or more than half doesn't even apply. So they're not one size fits on. So yes, you, you know, what can we do to remove them? Some of that onus is on the organization, right? They need to look at their policies. Look at their practices. Look right. at, right? And and ask those questions. Like, who does this benefit? Who does this harm? How is it harming? You know, the 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 companies we're trying to to do business with. And then on the flip side, us is you know those that are um, business owners, right? Like, tell them, like, let them know. Because I do feel like yeah, sometimes they just don't know. They truly don't know. They're just I operating. Don't. This is how we do it. This is what needs to be done. And they just truly don't know and I remember at the summit last year when I presented on this in my book um one of our clients wrote me it's like I was watching the whole time and I was like is Marisha talking about us I feel like we do this you know like yeah So I was definitely talking about many of the clients <laughs> that we yes. with. yeah so yes I mean it's just it's really amazing when you you know when you think about it just how the lack of just them understanding what what harm they could be causing
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to recap those three points because, yes, I see this as well. It is it is definitely something that is commonplace, but, you know, unrealistic payment terms. Right. Um, You know, the the IP expectations of who's going to be the owner of that and then the risk assessment, just how arduous of a task that is. And I also think about sometimes there are requirements that are um, again, they don't take into account really the advocacy of supplier diversity, like maybe unrealistic, um, um, you know, commercial insurance amounts that they want. Want you to have um yes, or even like the rfp point. process i no longer participate in rfp processes because of all the things that we've kind of talked about in this conversation it just does not seem to make good business sense when most often they probably have already you know determined who the vendor is going to be but they're just kind of going through the motions and then even the process itself i feel like is not very um does not really lean into justice because who has time to do all of that only for the potential slither chance of being able to get the contract? Yeah. So there's a lot to oh. unpack with just that topic yeah. in and of itself. So. Yeah, and I can that, tell I can mean, the, it the ins- with you and does me
1: too. Oh, oh, the insurance thing is another one. That's another place I go. And recently a client, it was just t- such an outrageous thing. And we had it was such a small, like a contract. Like what we we're doing was so small. And they had this like outrageous requirement. So I wrote, you know, I did my typical thing. And then they came back they reduced it, but not to where our level was. And then I asked them, what's your reason why? Like, why do we need this? Then they came back and said, okay, we could reduce it. Cause they didn't have a why. Like there's no reason. Yes. Yes. So
0: ask those questions. Ask those questions. Ask those questions. I think that's so important. Ask those questions um this has been so good i feel like we could go on and on and on but if you've if you've enjoyed this content and you found it valuable then i definitely will encourage you all to sign up for the racial justice at work summit follow Marisha, follow the Winters group, get involved, get the books and um, continue your learning journey. But I look forward to being a part of the summit and I look forward to continuing to promote it to our communities. And I think that we all are going to find ourselves better for having had this summit made available to us. And so thank you so much for being here. I want to give you the final 60 seconds to close this out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Nika. Thank
1: you, everyone, um, for joining and staying on with us. I truly enjoyed this um, conversation and looking forward to many future conversations with all of you. Feel free to reach out to me. And yes, um, just a little note. all I, We love all HBCUs, but there's only one number one.
0: She gets the final say today. Thank you all for joining us. We really do appreciate I hope you'll join us also next Friday. And y'all, it's Black History Month. And so, yes. <laughs> Alrighty, have a safe weekend. (laughs) Bye-bye.